So I have some adventuresome friends who told me about a place that, that has some incredible hiking. It's the land of Cambodia. So I looked it up online and I looked at the, the hiking that takes place there. And I was reading this blog about trekking in Cambodia. I guess the difference between hiking and trekking, they say trekking is taking it up a notch. You're going a little bit further. You're going to see specific places. So this blog was on trekking in Cambodia. There's some incredible waterfalls that you can go see. There's this ancient ruins that have massive trees growing out of them. Um, and so, as I was reading about this, I thought, you know, that might be a great place to go. Until I read this tiny little paragraph in this blog on trekking in Cambodia. It said this, When it comes to Cambodia trekking, it is an activity that should occur only under the supervision of a reputable guide or group, as there are landmines and many other dangers inherent to this landscape. And sure enough, if you look online, Cambodia is one of the top ten countries for the amount of landmines that there are. I mean, can you imagine going on a hike in Cambodia? I hope that this is the right trail. Um, Guy, are you sure? I mean, here we are walking through the weeds. This is the right direction, right? I mean, can you imagine you, your heart beating out of your chest as you're thinking about when am I going to accidentally step on a landmine? It goes on to say, using established trails and the guidance of trained professionals will allow you to safely experience the vastly unpredictable landscape that is Cambodia. So I was thinking, how many of you want to go on a trekking trip to Cambodia to see if we can find some landmines there? Now, here's the incredible thing. We read the story of Daniel, and we read what he's going through. There are landmines that he experiences. And, and are we living in a world today where there are a lot of potential landmines for our spiritual journey, for our nation, for our world? I mean, you just look at the world today and think about how our nation started. It started with a list of grievances against England saying, hey, you're taking away our liberties. Here are all the reasons that we are frustrated with England, because this, is, this isn't the way you should treat us. And then today, you go to September 11, and suddenly you see the world has massively changed, and flying is no longer the same. And then you come to just a few years ago, and we hit the pandemic, and, and suddenly we're seeing things change in the world around us. And, and the question is, how do we as Christians navigate when the world changes like it's changing? Thankfully, we have the book of Daniel to give us some guidance. So I want you to transport yourself to Babylon. Imagine that you have been taken captive. Imagine that you are Daniel. And imagine that you're there when you hear that a letter has come. It's been sent all the way from Judah. It's been sent to Babylon. It's been sent by the prophet Jeremiah. And this letter is read out loud there in Babylon. And this is what it says. Remember, you have been taken captive. You've been castrated. You've you're 18 years old, you've been separated from your family. This is what the letter says. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all that were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Can you imagine the pen drop silence for all the captives? It's like, hang on. Hold up. Do you realize something here? Um, do you realize what Babylon has done to us? Commenting on this prophet, the king says, it was especially important that those in captivity should seek the peace of the land into which they had been carried forcibly. This, however, was contrary to the inclinations of the human heart. 
<laughs> that wasn't naturally what their, their thoughts were towards Babylon. That wasn't naturally how they felt about Babylon. Going back and reading the story, we can picture it and say, yeah, sure, I pray for Babylon. I want the peace of Babylon. It sounds like a great place to live. But think about what they went through in Babylon. Right? Babylon had stolen their nation's wealth. Not only that, but last week we saw they stole the articles from the temple, put them into the temple of Bel, or Marduk, this evil god, uh, who was capricious, who was selfish, saying basically that our God is better than that God. They ripped families apart. They had castrated young nobles. They had lured them to idolatry by changing their names, trying to change their identity. We talked about this last week, that, that Daniel and his friends, their names meant that God is gracious, that God is our help. Who belongs to God? God is my judge. And these names were ch- changed to represent Bel or Marduk and to, to represent Nebu and to represent these other gods who subjugated humanity, who were selfish, who was all about them, who created out of death rather than being the lifegivers. And then Daniel and his three friends are brought to the king's palace to be indoctrinated, right? They're brought, the brightest young minds are brought into the school of the king to be indoctrinated by the curriculum of the day. We have problems with curriculum in the world today. So, so these are the, the types of things that are happening in Babylon. These are the types of things that are happening to Daniel and his friends there in Babylon. Can you see any similarities to the world that we're living in today? But notice how the prophets and kings goes on to say, any demonstration or insurrection on their part would awaken the vigilance and severity of the Chaldean authorities and would lead to a further restriction of their liberties. And so God has Jeremiah send a letter. It says, pray for the peace of Babylon. Pray for the peace of Babylon. That's not an easy letter to get when you have been hauled off at 18 years of age. You've been ripped away from your family. Your possibility of having children has been taken away from you. Your life has been wrecked, it might seem. And Daniel, Daniel and his three friends we saw last week, continue to represent this gracious God, this God who is our help. Notice we saw last week, we stopped in verse 9, but let's go back to verse 8 of chapter 1. Daniel 1 verse 8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart, he set his heart that he would not defile himself. His purpose is, I'm not going to defile himself. Now that word defile is used, if you search for that word, just get a concordance and look for the word defile. It's frequently used to describe priests. Those who are in a sacred role of representing God. And you and I, my friends, are called to be a royal priesthood. We are called to represent God to a dark world. So he purposed that he would not defile himself. Now notice this. With the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Now, I can't help but think, hang on. You were ripped away from your family. You, you didn't choose to fight to the death in Jerusalem. You had this surgery done on you where you're no longer going to have children. You're going to a school that's going to educate you in the doctrine of the Chaldean, the literature of, of Babylon. And you're worried about what you're going to have for dinner? Hold up. What's the big deal here? I mean, like, why didn't we stop somewhere else? Why didn't we just fight to the death? Why, why are you worrying about your next meal? What's the big deal? Well, why not eat the meat and drink the wine? 
youth instructor, September 15, 1898, says this. How did Daniel and his three friends know that that was the point to stand? Daniel and his three companions did not take the position that because their food and drink were of the king's appointment, it was their duty to partake of it. They prayed over the matter and studied the scriptures. They, they went to the scriptures. They had the, the scriptures, the writings of Moses. They had the, the writings of Isaiah. They had probably Proverbs. They had Psalms. They had these scriptures that they went to. They studied and they prayed. So, so how do I navigate the world today as I, as I watch things happening, as I see restrictions happening? How do I know what rights do I stand up for and what rights do I not stand up for? How do I know what God is calling me to do? I go to the Bible and I have to say, where in the Bible are my marching orders for life today? So let's see how they did that there in, in, as they considered the king's speech. So let's go back to Exodus, Exodus chapter 34. Again, they would have this from the writing of Moses. And there we find this. It says in verse 14 that God is a jealous God. Be careful about worshiping this any other God because God is, is really jealous about his relationship with you. He's, he cares about you keeping this relationship between you and him alone. Verse 15 says, Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice. Right, so they, they were warned that there's this problem that if, if idolaters are having a feast and they sacrifice some of their, their food to an idol, and then they bring it to you, and you come and eat it, this is a problem. Now we see this happening in Numbers chapter 25. Now you remember the story of Balaam. Balaam was called by Moab to come and curse the Israelites, this vast throng of people. And as he comes to curse them, blessings come out instead. And blessing after blessing comes out. And finally, he says, that's all I can do. But then we find out that Balaam comes back around. He really wants what the king of Moab wanted to give him. And so he tries to seduce Israel. This is how he does it. First, Numbers chapter 25, verses 2 and 3. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was, what's that word? Joined to Baal Peor. We find this again in Psalm 106, verse 28. They joined themselves also to Baal Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. There's this, this picture in the Bible which you find with Jesus. What did Jesus do in the upper room? He said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take, this is the cup of my blood, which is given as the new covenant for you. Throughout the Bible and, and in other rituals of religions, you find this idea that, that when you partake of the, the, the food that has been blessed or sacrificed to a, a particular deity, that you are becoming joined to that deity. Your, your heart, your mind is, is saying, I want to go in that direction. And, and this is the idea that we find in the Bible. So, so I want to say that the, the first idea that we find here that is a problem for Daniel and his friends is the fact that that God, Marduk, do you remember what we talked about last week? He's the chief God. Do you remember that, that he killed Tiamuk, his, uh, the mother goddess, in order to create humans? And then he made humans subjugated to the gods to do the work that the gods didn't want to do. That type of God, when you go and you eat of this sacrifice, the king's good food would have been sacrificed to him. When you eat of that, it's like you're saying, yeah, 
I want that type of deity, and in reality, your life is going to begin to reflect that. Notice how it says it in Prophets and Kings, page 481. But a portion, having been offered to idols, the food from the king's table was consecrated to idolatry, and partaking of it would be regarded as offering homage to the gods of Babylon. So you can see that as Daniel and his friends are studying the Bible, they're coming to this conclusion that, hey, we've got to stop there. We, we cannot do this. this. This is participating in their idolatrous feast. If we eat of this food, we're becoming associated with this evil, selfish God. In such homage, homage, loyalty to Jehovah forbade Daniel and his, and his companions to join. Even a mere pretense of eating the food or drinking the wine would be a denial of their faith. They, they would be totally denying that God is gracious, that He's our helper, that, that we belong to Yahweh, that He is our judge. And instead, they would be confessing martyr as this evil, capricious, selfish God that we talked about last week. To do this would be to array themselves with heathenism and to dishonor the principles of the law of God. What is the second commandment? You shall have... You shall not make any graven images. The first commandment is have no other gods. The second is, don't make any graven images. Don't bow down to them. And going and eating the sacrifices to those gods would have been a part of that. So Daniel and his friends, they knew. First of all, that would be idolatry, to eat the meat and drink the wine. We can't do that. Well, there's a second reason. If we keep going and we look back in the Bible, and as I imagine they're praying, they're studying the Bible, and, and this would be more familiar to them. But Leviticus chapter 11, verse 8 says, Their flesh, talking about particular types of meat, you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. Leviticus 11 gives us this list of foods that had meat that were particularly unclean, that, that didn't have the cloven hoof and chew the cud, particular types of fish, particular types of birds. These were not the most beneficial for humankind's health. And you see that all the way back at the time of the ark, there's a division between clean and unclean animals. So Daniel and his friends probably had that in mind. Also, Genesis 9, verse 4, after the flood, when God first gives permission for meat to be eaten, he says this, but you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. You think that the Babylonians were preparing their food in a kosher way? They're not worried about this. They don't have this health principle. It's, it's foreign concept to them. So Daniel and his friends knew that as well. The Review and Herald, January 25, 1881, says it this way, Among the viands placed before the king were swine's flesh and other meats which were declared unclean by the law of Moses, in which the Hebrews had been expressly forbidden to eat. Right? So the first thing we see is idolatry. The second thing is unclean meats improperly prepared. You see how they're not just going and saying, Okay, I just don't like this, and so I'm not going to do it. This doesn't make sense to me. I'm not going to do it. They're going to the Bible and they're saying, okay, what does the Bible say? I'm going to live based upon what the Bible says. They're not listening to any other voices. They're saying, what does the Bible say about the world that I'm living in today? What specific actions can I take based upon the Word of God? And that, my friends, is the only safe course because a God of infinite love has revealed the pathway to avoid the landmines. He's our guide, and He's given us a guide, the Bible, and, and to navigate based upon any other thing anybody else says, even if they say they're talking about the Bible, but it's not actually based on the Bible. We're in danger of running into landmines. So, 
before we get to number three, we need to keep something in mind here because we're going to get to the, some more health aspects here. But sometimes we look at this as just, hey, you know, Daniel has decided he's going to be plant-based for the rest of his life. But we need to keep in mind in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 3, Daniel goes on a fast for 21 days and he says this, I ate no pleasant food, no meat for 21 days. Daniel later in his life fasts from meat, which tells us that this wasn't, from this moment on, he had determined that he was going to eat plant-based for the rest of his life. Now, hang with me a second. If you are a fan of plant-based eating, we're going to get somewhere beautiful in a minute, okay? So, so don't, don't hate me yet, okay? If, if you are worried that I'm going to tell you you have to eat plant-based, then notice Daniel didn't always eat plant-based his entire life. So I'm not here to make a case from the book of Daniel that you have to eat plant-based. Okay? And we're going to watch how Daniel and his friends process this, this, this issue of health. But first, let's look at one more thing. Now, Daniel and his friends, remember, why were they chosen to be in the king's school? What were some of the reasons? Remember? Their appearance. Their appearance. That was one of the reasons. Their appearance. Another one. They were brilliant. They were brilliant. Anything else you remember from that? They were from a particular part of Judah. A particular class. They were nobility. They were princes. They were they were like Hezekiah had been told, some of your own children will be taken captive and made eunuchs in the land of Babylon. So we have this idea that, that they are princes, they're nobility, they're rulers. So the, there's the other aspect here. We have the meat portion that we've talked about, and both the meat and the wine play into idolatry. But what about the wine? Notice what Proverbs 31, 4 and 5 says. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, not for princes, intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Here, Daniel and his friends are realizing, hey, we're here in the land of Babylon, and we are royalty, and we recognize that to walk through these landmines, we need clear minds. And alcohol, according to what we read, they had Proverbs by this time, according to what we read, that's not going to be helpful for us. Notice what they could have said, though. It goes on to say, give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart. I mean, imagine how easy it would have been for Daniel to be like, look, I, this is miserable. <laughs> this is terrible. I, Babylon is, I need some wine. <laughs> At least I'm getting some good food and, and, and some mind-numbing wine. Why don't I just go that direction? Now, Daniel purposed in his heart. I'm not going that direction. Leviticus chapter 10 uh, tells us the story of Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu, they offer their, their Aaron, who is the first high priest. His sons are also priests, and they go into the temple, and, and they do this thing that, that really is horrific because it mars what the gospel is all about. They take fire that they have brought rather than the fire which God started. Anytime we replace Jesus, we've got a problem. We need, we need the true gospel. We need to recognize that it's only Jesus from A to Z. But they brought their own fire, and after that, they were consumed themselves. And notice what it goes on to say. Right after that, it says, Then, then as a result of this, the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever, throughout your generations, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes of which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. 
priests were instructed, look, if you are on sacred duty, don't drink wine. Because it's going to mar your ability to comprehend what's going on. You're, you're going to not be able to tell the difference between the holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean. Continue on this, friends. As we look through the book of Daniel, we recognize that they were there as ministers. They were there as priests. They were there to represent the God who is gracious, the God who is our help, the one that they belong to, the God who is our judge. And friends, here's the thing. You and I, we too, Peter writes, says we are a royal priesthood called to proclaim His glory to this dark world. You and I are called to show the world how good God is. And when you're walking through a minefield, you don't want to be drunk. Right? I mean, can you imagine going hiking in Cambodia? Right? And you're, you're under the influence, like, oh, yeah, I know they said uh, about the trail, but I'm feeling pretty confident now, and so I'm going to just blaze my own trail. Don't recommend it in Cambodia. you got to watch out for landmines. We need clear minds in the world that we're living in today. Prophets in Kings, page 482, comments on this. is that they were acquainted, Daniel and his friends, with the history of Nadab and Abihu. The record of whose intemperance and its results had been preserved in the parchments of the Pentateuch. They, they read that story. These stories are there not just so we can be in wonder how people live, but so that we too, as we face our Babylon moments, so we too can purpose in our hearts. And they knew that their own physical and mental power would be injuriously affected by the use of wine. So we have, first of all, idolatry, then we have unclean meats improperly prepared, and then we have alcohol prohibited for princes and priests. And I think that last one is such a beautiful thing. The reason that you weren't to drink alcohol was so that you could be just in what you did with the law of God. The reason that you weren't to drink alcohol was so that you could minister as a priest. You could properly represent who God is. And that's why they were there in Babylon. Notice what it says in Prophets and Kings. Again, in the land of their captivity, these men were to carry out God's purpose by giving to heathen nations the blessings that come through a knowledge of Jehovah. They were there as priests. They were there to represent our God is gracious. Our God is our help. He's our judge. He's on our side. And they needed to have clear minds to do this. Their purpose was not self-preservation. Do you catch that? The reason is not, okay, so what is the diet that, that will enable me to live the longest possible? Their goal is not self-preservation. Their purpose, their purpose in their heart was to bless Babylon with the knowledge of Yahweh. Amen. And when that's our purpose too, God wants to lead us to live incredibly healthful lives, but if that's not our purpose in living a healthy life, we're still in Babylon, although we might be healthy on the outside or, or even on the inside. Just think about this nation that they went to bless. They've stolen from them. They've taken the articles of the temple, ripped their, their families apart, they've castrated their young nobles. They changed their names that represented their gracious God. They lured them into idolatry and they had indoctrinated them in their schools. And yet here they are, seeking to be a blessing, praying for the peace of this nation. Manuscript releases volume 5, page 68 says this, In cases where we are brought before the courts, you and I may face similar circumstances. We are to give up our rights 
Unless it brings us in collision with God, it is not our rights we are pleading for, but God's right to our service. It's not about our rights. It's not about me and mine and my liberty. I support liberty. Liberty is, is fantastic. I love living in the United States of America. But when it comes down to it, my mission, my purpose is higher than earthly liberty. And that is to serve and represent Yahweh. It's not to stand up for my rights, but to stand up for the rights that are represented in the Word of God. And that is the only place I can stand. And if I try to stand anywhere else, I'm on shaky ground. I'm on dangerous ground. I have to stand on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, what does Daniel do? Having purpose in his heart, not to defile himself. Therefore he, what is that word? I need everybody to say that word with me. Therefore he requested. Now, if I come to you and I make a request, do you feel intimidated by that? Do you feel pressured by that? Am I trying to twist your arm? Therefore, he requested of the chief of the units that he might not defile himself. And we saw last week um, that, well, we'll get to that in a second, but let's look at youth instructor, August 18, about this request. It says this, This request they did not offer in a defiant spirit, but as if soliciting a great favor. Would you please do this for us? And I have to ask myself, is that, is that the way that I act? When I recognize that I have a liberty that is based upon God's word, that I need based upon God's word, do I act with a gracious and compassionate heart, or am I having a defiant spirit? They were courteous, kind, respectful, possessing the grace of meekness and modesty, and the good behavior of these young youth obtained favor. You know, this is how you can always tell the true God from the false God. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly of heart. He's the one who allowed and gave over his people to be captives in Babylon. He's the one who allowed his name to, to be represented by the goods from his temple, the articles from his temple being placed in the temple of Marduk. He was the willing to, to humble himself to that level. And that is the way of the cross. The way up is down. Jesus again and again said, if we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and tender love of the chief of the eunuchs. And we saw last week that that was through their kind and courteous behavior, the way that they treated this, this, this person who was over all the eunuchs. And verse 10, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. I'm afraid, Daniel, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. What does he believe about health? What does this, what does this guy believe will be the result of eating vegetables and water? Weakness and sickness. <laughs> Weakness and sickness. Your faces are going to look worse. You see, he has a worldview that his picture of health is incorrect. And I don't know about you, but you know I've dealt with some people who say you eat plant based. Oh yeah, <laughs> you need your milk. You need your protein. What's going to happen to you? And you know my temptation in that moment when somebody's saying, you know, you're going to be weak based upon that diet. I say, well, where does, where, have you been on a safari recently? I, I went on a safari and, and we spent like an hour behind an elephant on the road because we were terrified of the elephant and we could only go at the elephant's pace and the van didn't dare to move because of the elephant. 
Elephants are plant-based. Are you going to argue with this guy about where do I get my protein from? Where do, is a vegan diet okay? <laughs> Tell him, plant-based eating is, is not enough. That's not going to work out for you, buddy. I want to see how that argument goes. You could argue with the American bison. You could go down the list of all these animals, these creatures that eat plants. But, but Daniel doesn't just march up to this guy and say, Are you serious? You think we're going to look weak? You think that we're going to be puny because of this? Are you serious? You've got it all wrong. Your health, you're totally off in your beliefs about health. Notice what Daniel does. So Daniel said to the steward, notice, first he'd been talking to the chief of the eunuchs. The chief of the eunuchs said, I'm scared because you're going to become unhealthy through this diet. So Daniel, Daniel doesn't continue the conversation as far as we can tell from, from here. Instead, Daniel goes to the steward whom that chief of the eunuchs had assigned over him. And as he goes to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, just said, parentheses here, what names are you used here? Are these the Babylonian names? No. I think Daniel sent in a message. God is my judge. God is gracious. Who belongs to God? God is my help. Yahweh is our help. There's, there's this message that they continue to represent Yahweh. They're not being seduced by this God, God. But notice, he goes now to the, the lesser person who just has say over these four friends. And then says this, Please test your servants for ten days. Let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. You see what he does? He says, okay, well, let's do a little test. Let's, let's, let's offer this opportunity for you to examine and see the difference that it makes. You see, truth can bear examination. Truth will prevail in the end. Truth has no problem in handling all of the misinformation on the planet because the reality is that truth will work itself out in every single person's life. Because truth is truth, no matter what people are saying. It's the reality. So, I was reading about this uh, doctor that had written up in the New England Journal of Medicine about some of the earliest scientific trials, health trials that have taken place. And they said it was in the 1700s, dealing with scurvy and dealing with smallpox, and he went into detail about all of this. Well, another doctor wrote into the journal and said, hold up, you missed something. You said these are the earliest clinical trials that happened? No. Daniel chapter 1, and then he quotes from Daniel chapter 1, right there in the New England Journal of Medicine. And they published it because the doctor who, who wrote that article responded by saying this. You're, you're right. Oh, sorry. I, I, uh, let's, let's go here. We'll come back to that verse. The, the doctor went on to say this. An earlier clinical trial, one that was performed a couple of thousand years ago and described in the book of Daniel. You're right. That, that's the reality. Now the health benefits of a vegetable diet and exercise seem to be continually rediscovered for the benefit of magazine publishers. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, actually more than that, several thousand years ago, this was discovered by a clinical trial. And so notice verse 14. So he, being this steward, not the chief of the eunuchs, he consented. And okay, we're going to do a little trial. We're going to do a little test here, and we'll test you for 10 days. Here's the reality. There are people who try to pit science versus the Bible. 
But the Bible has the oldest clinical trial. And this isn't me saying this. This is the New England Journal of Medicine. The Bible has the oldest clinical trial on record. The Bible is not opposed to science. God is our creator. He understands science better than anyone. The Bible and science are not in conflict. Yes, there is conflict between our interpretations of science and our interpretations of the Bible. But the Bible and science... They're not in conflict whatsoever. Notice what Council of Teachers, page 426 says. God is the author of science. Scientific research opens to the mind vast fields of thought and information, enabling us to see God in His created works. God loves scientific research. Scientific research is absolutely essential to our faith. And don't let any Christian tell you otherwise because they're not basing their beliefs on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because we find right here in Daniel, the first scientific trial. And these things bear out over time. These things clearly, they show the difference that it makes. Now notice, Daniel and his friends, they didn't use a defiant spirit. They didn't tell Babylon all the reasons that they were wrong. What did they do? They said, test it and see and the reality is that we are in the midst of a global test of plant-based eating. And the results are coming in. They're coming in stronger and stronger and stronger. I'm going to race through these, so buckle your seatbelts. You can review this later on. But we have so many different things that are confirming this. The American Institute for Cancer Research says this. Evidence from long-term observational population studies shows vegan diets consistently are linked to lower cancer risk. You want to not get cancer? It's a good idea, right? We have the American Heart Association, who also says all heart disease and all of these things can be addressed by a plant-based diet. American Academy of Pediatrics, representing 67,000 physicians, says that a plant-based diet is beneficial for children. The Canadian Diabetes Association says that, uh, that, that a plant-based diet is good, uh, the language is basically treat, it's sort of like treatment for diabetes. Now, the American Diabetes Association flagging a little bit behind that. It says, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the helpful diets, one of, one of several, but it does reference it also, the plant-based diet. When you go back, I was looking at something Dr. Michael Greger was talking about. He said, you go back to 2013, and this, a lot of this wasn't understood. Like, this is, is current stuff that's coming out more and more and more. Diabetes being able to be addressed by a plant-based diet, there's been people that have been doing that for a long time, but in medical terms, that hasn't been something that's been understood for quite some time. Um, we could look at athletes, right? So you don't want to get cancer, you don't want to get diabetes, you don't want to get heart disease, you don't want to have a heart attack. Plant-based diet seems pretty helpful based upon what we're finding out with modern science. But what about athletes? We have people like Chris Paul in the NBA. We have Venus Williams, a tennis star. We have NFL players. We have soccer players. We have a UFC fighter. We have endurance athletes who are all eating plant-based. And they're saying, look at what it's doing for our endurance. Look at the, the, the increased performance that we have in athletics. I encourage you, if you get a chance, look at nutritionfacts.org or Dr. Michael Greger. It, he breaks down all these different studies and he points out study after study after study that is confirming the fact that a plant-based diet, it makes a difference. But we're not here, I'm not here, if, if, if you're not comfortable with this, if you're not familiar with this, I'm not here to do what Daniel and his friends didn't do. I'm not here to force this on you and say, you have to start doing this. You see how God works? He works by invitation. 
He works by demonstration. Look at the difference that is making in, in our lives. Daniel and his friends say, just test it for 10 days. I encourage you, just check out some of the videos on nutritionfacts.org. There's a, so much information there that's helpful. Here's a couple of things that he said just recently. Just this morning, he goes to this. If even light drinking can cause cancer, why don't doctors warn their patients about it? Right? The Cancer Research Institute has confirmed that, that even moderate drinking causes cancer. But we don't find doctors always warning us about it. And I love this. Notice what he says about Seventh-day Adventists. This is Dr. Michael Greger, not a Seventh-day Adventist. He says, the population with perhaps the life, highest life expectancy in the world doesn't eat meat at all. The California Adventist vegetarians. Did you know that? The highest population, the highest life expectancy in the world is among those, if you've seen the Blue Zone study in Loma Linda, particularly among those in Loma Linda who are choosing to eat a vegetarian diet, have the longest life expectancy. Look up the Blue Zone. This is another great example where we're seeing demonstration. This isn't to say, this is what God is forcing upon people, but this is what God is inviting people to. A life without diabetes, a life without cancer, a life without heart disease. Not that those things can't possibly happen to a vegetarian or vegan or plant-based diet, but it's, we'll look in a second here at some of the stats on that. The National Institute of Health has funded research on the health habits of Adventists as they look and say, wow, look at what's happening with Adventists. They have funded two studies. The first was the Adventist Health Study Number 1 that found Adventist women live 4.4 years longer when they're living the Adventist vegetarian lifestyle. Adventist men live 7.3 years longer. Sorry, that's The Adventist Health Study Number 2, again, funded by the National Institute of Health and Loma Linda University, found, is finding this so far. There's less obesity, an average of 30 pounds lighter, 55% less diabetes, that's a lot less diabetes, isn't it? 42% less hypertension, that's high blood pressure. 55% lower cholesterol rates. Less cancer, 50% just of colon cancer as an example. 30 to 50% fewer heart attacks. 12% lower risk of mortality overall. Does that seem like an attractive lifestyle? Like something that you might want to try out? If it doesn't, just keep thinking about it and praying about it. I'm just here to tell you that it's a good deal. So notice what happens, Daniel 1 verse 15. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better, fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. After 10 days, it was evident that it had made a difference in their lives. It was evident, and they didn't have to force themselves. They didn't have to, to push their ideas. They invited a trial to be done. And that trial resulted in an attractive lifestyle being modeled. Verse 16. Thus the steward took away the portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. It's, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Now, I can tell you from my own life, I'm not going to talk about me as an individual, but I'll take you back six weeks ago. Six weeks ago, I was in an operating room. As I'm there in the operating room, my wife gained 16 pounds during her pregnancy. We thought, okay, we're going to have a tiny little six-pound baby here. Something that you'll find online is they'll tell you, you know, if you eat a plant-based diet, your children are going to have stunted growth. Um, they're going to be small. So I passed out in the operating room. That's another story. But as I'm waking up, they're like, he's big. They're having a hard time getting him out. They're using suction to try to get him out. And, and as I see them bringing Nathan to me, this is Donna Brown's daughter, by the way. God, another miracle God brought Tracy to us as a nurse again. 
But as they're bringing this boy to me, I'm like, is that my child? Did you see my wife? That's my child? <laughs> and Tracy went and weighed him, and she found that he was 10.2 pounds. <laughs> right? And, well, maybe that was just a fluke, but over the past six weeks, um, he went to his doctor's appointment on Wednesday. He's now at 101% on the growth charts. Now, I'm not crediting a plant-based diet for that, by the way. <laughs> I think genetics, but this is just to show that a, a plant-based diet does not hinder a child from growing healthily. Does that make sense? All right, so 101% on the growth charts. He's like, what was it, 90, I forgot, 98% in the, in the weight. They said he's tall and skinny. I don't know how they got that, because he's got a lot of rules, I think. <laughs> These girls, they're, Libby's 101% on the growth chart, and Abby's a quarter inch behind her, so she's like 98% percentile on the growth charts, and they're like, between 88% and 96% or something like that in their weight category. And they're all plant-based. That's just a little tiny personal example that I believe that this diet can make a difference. It can give us energy, it can give us strength. But all of that has to be with a purpose. Remember, if, if, if we walk out of here saying, yeah, plant-based eating is awesome, let's go be missionaries for plant-based eating, we got it all wrong. We're missionaries for the God who is gracious. For the God who is our judge, the God who is our help, we're missionaries for His character, for Yahweh. And if eating can help us to serve Him better and represent Him better and show the world, have more energy to love people and to love God, then let's eat healthily, right? But if that's not our purpose and it's self-preservation, then really, we're just in Babylon, as Babylon worshippers, eating a plant-based diet. In Romans chapter 14, Paul addresses this whole issue of food sacrifice to idols and of going and eating at these feasts that the Christians were, were, were having to face. You see, they were dealing with similar things that Daniel had to deal with. And notice what Paul says to those in the church in Rome. So the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, one of the best definitions of that is found in the, the book Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. It says righteousness is holiness. Holiness is likeness to God. And God is love. Righteousness is to love God and to love people with, with unfailing faithfulness. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. Those things are subservient to enabling us to live a life of righteousness. And if we get the two mixed around, if somehow we think we're getting our righteousness by what we eat and drink, We've missed the whole point. Jesus is the only righteous one. His righteousness is all that matters. And as we pursue Him, our passion for pursuing Him will increase as we participate in the incredible food that He's given us to eat. It's important that we get it in this order. I'll tell you a story about when I went over to a contact's house. Well, one of them was a church member. The husband was a church member. The other was a contact that we were hoping would be drawn to our church. This wasn't here in Templeton. It was in another city. And we sat down to eat. And the first course came around. And we thought, this is great. This is a delicious meal. And as we're eating the food, this is fantastic. And then she starts to tell us the story. She says, you know, I went to Costco. And I, I worked really hard to find. And I couldn't find it there. And I went to this market. I went to that market. And finally, I, I was looking for Alaskan salmon. I hunted really hard and I found it and then I have this special recipe and she goes on this long story about the sacrifice she went to to get this Alaskan salmon. 
And then she comes out with plates that have an entire, the way Leanne and I remember it, like an entire fish on it with a head and all. And she comes out and says, would you like one? And Leah says that she thought, well, for sure Zach's not going to say that. He doesn't, he only eats plant-based, he doesn't like refined cane sugar, and he's like, there's no way he's going to eat that. It's like, yeah, I'll eat the fish. You see, it's not about me and self-preservation. In that moment, in my understanding of what was going on, my witness to that woman would have been marred if I had chosen to say, no, 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 I'm plant-based. You can't, you can't, I can't eat that. I don't care how much sacrifice I'm into. And I haven't always made the best choices on this, but the point is that the kingdom of God is not in our eating and drinking, it's in the way that we love God, the way that we love people, and that will bring joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you have time for one more story? Yeah. All right, so last week I told you that somebody called me a dumb dog in an email, right? Or said that I had a dumb dog pulpit and that I didn't know how to speak. And so I told you last week that, hey, I'm realizing that God is making it really clear to me that I need to be gracious and compassionate, that I need to, I need to represent God like Daniel and his friends. <laughs> Even though I don't want to, I want to light them out, I want to tell them everything. Well, I'm here to tell you that carefully I crafted an email and then I ran past my wise wife who first told me to be merciful and gracious. She said, you know this paragraph, you should probably cut that one out. You should probably change this a little bit and change that a little bit. So we neutered it a little bit. We brought it down a couple notches. It was as gracious as possible. I apologized for the things I could think of to apologize. And I said that he was right on the things I could think of that he was right about. And, and I have to read you some of the things that he wrote back to me. I mean, here's just two lines that stuck out to me. He said, we have so much in common in our faith. And then he said, now remember last week I told you that he was listing off the reasons that he would not want to be a member of our church. And then he said this, your church would actually be my favorite church in your area. Don't underestimate what a gracious, compassionate witness can be. The difference that it can make in somebody's life when we approach them with the humility of Jesus, when we approach them with courteousness, when we approach them and say, our God is gracious and so I can't help but be gracious to you. And when we even do that, for that heathen power like Babylon that may be oppressing us, and we pray for the peace of Babylon, it can make all the difference in the world. It can bring us into favor in difficult situations, just like it did for Daniel and his friends. Just invite you to bow your heads and knees before us. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us the Bible that gives us such clear marching orders and instructions about how to live our lives. And Father, so often we're tempted to go blaze our own path and to say, I know where the landmines are, but help us to recognize that we need a God. And Father, help us to determine, to set a purpose in our heart to be witnesses, even in the midst of a world that is getting more and more difficult to navigate. That we would say, I'm going to stand for what's right in a gracious, compassionate way. Father, forgive me for how often I've not done this. Give me the meekness, the humility of Jesus, I pray. Would you change our hearts from the inside out? Would you transform us and give us new hearts so that we can be your witnesses? And Father, may we experience health and abundance. May we have energy and strength to love you and to love people so radically that they can't help but be attracted 
the lifestyle that you've called us to live. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.